years, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Study Buddies. My name is Paola. And my name is Taylor. And we are here with a PS episode, Post Science. Welcome to Season 2. We got some fun things for you, including today we're sitting here with an author of one of the studies we've recently chatted about. Welcome, Eshin. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. We're super excited to talk to you. Um, so we'll just let you take it away if you could share. We're also just learning. I, I just I just want to note that we did think that Eshin's name was Jolly for an extended <laughs> period of time uh, and reached out to Eshin as Jolly. And Eshin, it must be very polite because he did not correct not at us all. for quite and a while. And he's still here talking with us. So... Um, we're super excited to have you here. If you just want to share um, your full name, I know we've said it, but you could share your full name, your pronouns, your current title, and where you grew up. Sure. Uh, my name is Eshin Jolly. I am a postdoc at Dartmouth College up in New Hampshire. I also got my PhD here in cognitive neuroscience. And I was actually originally born in India and uh, moved my folks to the U.S. when I was pretty young around the sort of New York City area. Very nice. We are super excited. So we talked about Eshin's study, Gossip Drives Vicarious Learning and Facilitates Social Connection, um, a couple weeks ago. And we're super excited to ask you a whole bunch of questions about this super cool study. Um Taylor and I had a lot of really fun discussions and thoughts about it. So we're super excited to hear your take. Uh, Taylor, take it away. Yeah. So we had lots of gossip about gossip and we <laughs> really wanted to break it down and kind of ask, what was your most exciting finding in the study? What like really kind of was this your big takeaway from the research? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I think for us, it was, I mean, one of the aims with, with this study was to sort of maybe challenge the conventional thinking around what gossip is. You know, I think you guys actually did an amazing job uh, explaining the study and characterizing it in actually more detail than I would say any other journalist I've spoken to. Um, so uh, I think you guys have a, probably a pretty good understanding of, of, of the work. <laughs> but I think the, the broader sort of thing we were hoping to do is, is like you mentioned, you know, typically when we're growing up, gossip is sort of seen as this taboo, negative thing. You shouldn't do it. You don't want to be labeled as somebody who gossips. And I think the uh, motivation a lot behind this work and, and I think what our findings sort of broadly show is that gossip is actually like a pretty complex way of interacting with other people. And often what we're doing when we're gossiping is not necessarily just sort of trash talking and things, but we're often having this conversation under the conversation. We're often checking with other people about whether some kind mm -hmm. of social behavior is okay or isn't okay. You know, and so I think some of our thinking in this work, mm -hmm. and I think what we're trying to demonstrate um, in what the sort of data are showing is that oftentimes when the social environment is uncertain or unclear or ambiguous, you know, and, and in natural life, adolescence is like a pretty classic time period. Yeah. Right? Um, that's when gossip can actually be a kind of yeah. social tool where we check in with the people, hey, that person doing yeah. that thing, we're making fun of them because we're basically saying we don't think that's an okay thing to do, right? you see the world in the way that I see it, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's sort of what some of our, our findings are sort of demonstrating. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing that's probably most exciting to me. Sure. What, um, was there like one specific moment in your previous research or in your life that was just like, wow, this is the question that I want to investigate in the next study I do bringing you to this study? Like, what was the thing that sparked this specific interest? Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, part of it was, you know, frankly, sort of just being alive and noticing it's something I do, everybody sort of does to some degree, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's... Uh, Eshin, I do have to ask, are you uh, one of those people who lays in bed at night thinking about the things that happened to you in middle school and like going over them and having that regret and anxiety and like that is really what the underpinning of this study is coming from? <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking the like is research me search question? Is that what you? <laughs> um, I'm sure that's. I'm sure part of that was a contributing factor. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think even just sort of talking to friends, like you know, being sort of in academia, you know, uh, going to conferences and presenting your work, like you know, people obviously want to learn about other people's research and, and sort of uh, uh, present what they're working on. But half the fun for academic conferences is kind of gossiping and socializing and catching up with people about what life is like and what's going on and who knows who and those kinds of things. You know, and I'm sure with mm. with the pandemic and things, when people haven't been able to communicate as much, that's, we're talking about a lot of like, well, like, what if, you know, like, what are you going to do? What if, what have you been up to? Like, what's been going on in your life? And I think all of those are sort of broadly speaking examples of, of gossip. So Part of it's just the motivation of just, right. it's something, it's so ubiquitous. Everyone's doing it. Why are we doing it? And like, is there actually some benefit yeah. we're getting from doing it? Absolutely. And we we did want to ask, yeah. did we miss anything in our breakdown that you think is important, like that our audience has to know? Hmm. Uh, you guys actually did a really good job. You actually did a better job, I think, than I could probably do. <laughs> <laughs> um Wow. Bring on the compliments, Ashen. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I'm not just trying to be polite. I mean, I, I think to quickly sort of maybe summarize just a little bit, I think the sort of key takeaways, um, which you, you also sort of hit upon this idea that gossip can be a way that we can learn about the world through other people, what we call vicarious learning, that it's a way for people to build social connections, which means that we end up influencing each other's behavior, but we also influence each other's impressions of other people, right? I think that's the other sort of angle. And the third piece that you sort of noted at the end about um, how does it change group behavior? And you know, it's one way where people can start cooperating a bit more, maybe because they're learning about what's going on or they're taking the opportunity to establish these sort of social norms, like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So I think those were sort of the broad, broad takeaways. Um, but I'm happy to go into any more detail if you want me to. I wanted to ask what your biggest frustrations were mm. about um, this particular experiment and this study. And like, if there was anything that you would shift if you were to redo it? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, there was a lot of frustration. So uh, <laughs> uh, give us the dirt. <laughs> right so the hot goss <laughs> don't call out your coworkers though because they may end up uh hearing this and we don't want you to to get in any sort of uh, <laughs> social social conflicts with them the fun the funny thing is i'm i'm actually not that concerned about it because like me and my advisor like trash talk all the time both about each other and you know just sort of generally so 
gossip trouble. <laughs> That's amazing. So <laughs> scientists do know what gossip is then, it seems. Some scientists, hopefully. <laughs> um, so no, he, he has a good sense of humor, so he, he wouldn't mind about anything. But um, typically the way that research is done in experimental psychology or cognitive neuroscience is you're often bringing people into like a artificial laboratory setting, right? And you're creating something, you're sort of controlling all the variables and you're sort of trying to measure people and how they behave and what they think in that way. A, a big focus sort of broadly in what our lab does is to try to impart this idea of like more naturalistic approaches to science. So how can we bring a little bit more of real life into the lab, so to speak? So uh, both because mm -hmm. of our sort of desire to be like, okay, well, we want a lot of people to be interacting and, you know, we want these groups and we want to sort of sample more diversely than just undergraduate students. Mm -hmm. And then also because when you're sort of living in the middle of nowhere, it's really hard to get five people to show up on time reliably to anything. Um, we don't have a huge student population and things like that. And so we actually did some pilot testing yep. and I would say to, I think that's hard to do even if you're not living in nowhere. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like just the coordination problem, I think of just getting people to show up <laughs> is difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. but also like, I think we, when we tried to run the experiment originally, when we were piloting things and figuring stuff out, I think it probably took three months or four months just to get like 30 people total of like usable oh, data. Wow. Um, and so a big motivation to sort of help that speed that up was sort of switching to like an online format, mm. you know, and trying to, and trying to do it well. Um, and so, um, our lab does, you know, a fair degree of technical stuff, but I was, I think when I ran this study, I was, I think a third year graduate student and I had sort of switched advisors. And so I was at this period sort of figuring out my interests and I had just sort of seriously got into like computer programming and web development and things like that. Oh, perfect. So a big challenge was sort of like, how do you write a game for the internet, right? Like, how does that even work? Yeah. Um, and then how do you write one where like multiple people can play together at the same time? And then how do you do that when there's like a thousand people doing it at the same time? And so that was for me personally, pretty fun actually to learn. It was like a completely different sort of area of learning than psychology research. Right. Uh, but it was also really, really hard to do yeah. <laughs> for somebody that has like no background in, in programming and things like that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I would say that was definitely the biggest frustration. It was also turned out to be like one of the most rewarding aspects of um, the whole process and opened up a ton of opportunities I could never have imagined uh, work-wise, relationship-wise, right. you know, with colleagues and all that kind of stuff just, just by doing it. Yeah. So yeah. now that you've conquered coding, <laughs> Are you going to move from science and social research to like just go work for Google uh, and go to like Silicon Valley since you have all the coding experience? It's funny you ask that because uh, the summer after I did this project, I interned at Microsoft Research in New York. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. But it turns out that uh, some, some companies and stuff have these sort of industry research labs where they're actually basically doing research. They just happen to be housed in a company rather than in a academic setting. And so what was nice is sort of you, you got to sort of take, have the benefits of having the massive resources somewhere like Microsoft would, but um, you get to sort of like put those to work for fundamentally an academic oh, cool. purpose. So I think, I don't know, some hybrid like that could be interesting yeah. or, you know, even just more crosstalk between academics and industry. Sure. I think I, I generally like research, so that'll be a part of wherever I end up. Yeah, that's but, super yeah. cool. Taylor, you wanted to ask the next question? So can you tell us uh, something about the study that didn't make it into the paper that you might have found interesting? <laughs> Any behind the scenes? Hmm. 
Oh, that's interesting. I guess I, I can't remember if we noted this in the paper, but one thing that I thought was uh, super cool and also um, maybe sort of like even speaks to the strength of sort of like the results that we find is that uh, so the 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 pool of people that we sort of recruited from is this um, online labor market called Mechanical Turk that's run by Amazon. It's a place where people can go to do sort of anything from super boring to slightly less boring tasks for some amount of money. Um, and sometimes like myself, researchers will use that to like recruit uh, participant populations. And what's neat is um, uh, reputation really matters on that platform. Like, you know, obviously you want to treat people with respect wherever you are in life, mm -hmm. but in particular, um, you know, we, we tried to pay people like a pretty high wage for the work they're doing because they're spending a lot of time. And so there are sites that are dedicated to places where participants in this labor market can like review the researchers and they can like leave comments and things. And so I remember really liking that one of the comments that someone left, it was not even directed towards us. It was literally um, reaching out to one of the other participants, wow. like their gossip partner in the game saying that I had so much fun playing this with you. Like I was the little <gasps> birdie in case you ever like do another experiment. They tried to connect yeah. in real yeah, life. Yeah, they're like, if you ever do another job in this labor market again, you know, yeah, it was, um, it was super cool. <laughs> oh my God, that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was super fun and rewarding to see. That's amazing. Wow, so real life connections through science. That's incredible. I wonder if they connect and if they're married now. <laughs> I don't know. I never scoured like the misconnections. Maybe it's, I don't know how they would find each other. But, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be possible. We gave people in the game also to sort of make it more fun and for people to identify uh, each other without, while preserving anonymity. We gave people these sort of cute little uh, animal avatars. And so I think the person said something like, hey, I was the like purple pig and you were like the bee, like, you know, if you ever see this or something like that. But. <laughs> oh my God. That is so sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I'll be in Grand Central um, holding a bee right. and a purple pig looking for I you. Know. you. Find me <laughs> Tuesday at six o'clock. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, so we always do this segment in our Passing Notes episode called mm -hmm. The Data Data. And um, it's always a point of curiosity especially for like the people that are doing the research, but for you, how do you feel like these findings have, after you discovered them, affected the way that you look at your day-to-day -day life or mm. your day-to-day -day interactions? That's a really good question. Um, so one thing that I have been probably thinking about for myself and I try to tell other people is, you know, if you're a person that tends to sort of be in that slightly more anxious camp or think about what other people think, you might be very prone to being like, oh, no, no, never gossip. You like catch yourself doing it or you look down upon other people. And I think maybe a little bit I've sort of stepped back from that view because I think the other sort of take is that, hey, if gossip is a way for me mm -hmm. to like help somebody learn about something they don't know, and if I've learned something from other people, like that's actually kind of a neat opportunity. So I, I've sort of my thinking has changed in terms of gossip. And, and, and I sort of hope that um, you know, uh, future research sort of like sort of adopts this perspective to some degree where, you know, it's not inherently a good or bad thing. It's about how people use it, like a lot of things in life. And so if there's opportunities to, you know, use it positively to help yeah, somebody that. out, maybe preventing harm, you know, avoiding somebody or a situation, or just like benefiting from a lot of sort of like, I'm, you know, I may be at level five because I've put in the time and I could just bring you up to level five and you don't have to go through levels one through four. Like those could be hugely beneficial things. So that's sort of like how I've been sort of trying to think about 
about gossip a little differently. Yeah, I definitely identify with that. That was like a huge takeaway for me with the study. It was like I felt very validated by the science that like everything I've always felt about talking about things was like fair and true that like it doesn't all have to be bad. So that's so cool that you also took that away. Right. Yeah, definitely. Part of me wants to take this information and just give it to all adolescents who are feeling guilty every time they gossip about anything yeah. just so they can feel a little bit better about themselves. Yeah. But then part of me feels that they may take that in a different <laughs> right, direction. Right. So then maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether I want to tell them or not. Right. But, right. Yeah. yeah. That's always the, that's always the trick. Like the nuance is like the key factor, right? Like, you know, it's all how you use it. So this is not licensed to like trash talk all everybody, right? You don't like or something. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. You got it. You have to good person gossip, yeah. which is different than shit yeah, talk. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, just sort of just ask your simple, yourself a sort of simple question of like, why are you doing it? Like, what's the yes, point? What's precisely, the purpose? Precisely. Right. Is it actually serving a purpose? Right. You know, and it doesn't have to be a big profound purpose, but oftentimes you don't want to sort of just mindlessly engage in something. So we did also want to ask you about macaroni and cheese, which is our yeah. segment where we ask, what do you think the findings explain kind of about the greater world or the bigger right. picture or how do they apply to the world on a macro Level. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, tr- I, I, you know, I'm I'm very hesitant to like generalize beyond like what I can reasonably say from like the data and stuff. Obviously, um, but I, I think you know, I think maybe like the sort of big takeaway is is sort of again, sort of just stepping back and thinking about um, how different styles of communication can help us connect with other people and like what that actually means. And maybe that actually is on my mind just because it feels like the world is constantly talking past itself all the time every day these days. And so, um, you know, the degree to which, you know, we can use uh, learning about sure. the the social world through other people, right? Like helping people, you know, resolve things that they're fearful or uncertain about because maybe we know them mm. uh, and they don't, or maybe we're exposed to something that they're not. Anything we could do where our experience, our own personal experiences can be beneficial to other people you know, might be the sort of broadest possible takeaway uh, from gossip. And there's there's some sort of theoretical work where people have suggested that a big shift in like early Homo sapiens relative to other primates was that we actually used something like gossip as a kind of form of social grooming in much the way that chimpanzees might sort of, you know, pull fleas off of each other's backs. And Oh my gosh. So the more we gossip, the more evolved we are. <laughs> Those are those are your words, not mine. Or at least I'm gonna tell myself that. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's possible, right? Like where, you know, it's an opportunity to like connect with other people, you know, that has maybe some like very fundamentally primitive roots in the way that other primates have done that. Um, but obviously with mm-hmm. how complicated and sort of modern the world is today, there's so many ways that it can go really right and really wrong. And so the nuance really matters. Uh, But yeah, I think in just in general, where it's so easy to write something off, like don't ever do this thing. And I think it's interesting to stop and think like, wait a second, maybe there are sometimes value to doing that thing. And if there is like, what does that look like? And maybe we sort of, our take is wrong. And, And so I think for me that the broad takeaway is, hey, gossip is actually this incredibly rich way of talking about things that we just sort of figured out how to talk about something that we're not actually talking about. And it's incredibly informative and useful. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think that I think it's just interesting to think more about how people communicate and the way we're doing it and like how it serves the social connection. Yeah, it's a huge learning tool. And especially, you know, thinking about how important it is for adolescents when we're using it for like social comparison, like 
in that area where we're figuring out who we are, it's like it to, to take that away would, I think, kind of stunt some aspects of self-development, right? So if you're learning about yourself by learning about others, if we didn't talk about others, there would be that, like that self-comparison would be interrupted. And I, I think it would be really hard to kind of personally grow if you don't have it in relation to your peers. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has a huge, a huge overall impact on how we interact. And like you said before, Ashen, like commu- just communicate on mm-hmm. a larger level. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. And that, that sort of period of time, I'm, I'm going to guess for like all of us was sort of, you know, you're trying on a bunch of identities and things and trying to figure out what sticks. And you're also trying to figure out like, you know, what do you like and what do you not like? And it's interesting when you're in a sort of an adult, it's like, I know I like this and I don't like this, but arriving at that was actually a really tricky, complicated process. Right. And a lot of it involved what other people mm-hmm. and people that you were felt connected to liked and didn't like, and, you know, and maybe people that you didn't know and learning about all that stuff in the way you're talking about, I think was, is very crucial to just the way we develop generally. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, our last question for you, we are super curious to hear what you're currently working on. So, so my, my PhD was in cognitive neuroscience with like a focus on social cognitive neuroscience. So I try to use tools like uh, uh, MRI to actually understand like what our brains are doing in service of social processing. So what I mean by that is really just thinking about other people and their thoughts and feelings and social connections. And so uh, what I'm doing now is sort of an extension of some of my doctoral work where sort of, again, in the spirit of this naturalistic way to do science, we have people lie in an MRI machine and we show them television shows and we show them character dramas that have like large casts of characters. A dream. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have them uh, talk about the characters afterwards, all while they're inside the MRI machine. And so the idea is, can we sort of identify mechanisms and sort of brain processes that are really involved in this sort of way of representing relationships between people and that if you and I, let's say, have different characters or focus on different relationships, how does that ultimately shape our memories of those things? That's amazing. And sort of, you can imagine a, a kind of loop there where we might remember things because we were paying attention to things similarly when we were watching and sort of a bit of a chicken, a bit chicken egg. But yeah, that's the, in broad strokes, it's sort of what I'm, what I'm working on right now. <laughs> so Paula and I are very excited by that. Oh my gosh. That is so, so exciting. I have full body chills in my heart and flutter. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. As a storyteller, like that's just such an exciting thing to hear that that's being researched and especially in the realm of neuroscience. It's so thrilling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting and it's cool. I, I, for me personally, it's like fun because th- th- there has been some work on like, it's really interesting actually that you're doing that. It makes me almost think about attachment and yes. Uh, like what we learn in our relationships when we're younger yeah, and like what that might lead us to attune to when like watching a different show with different relationships, like what might stand out to us or what might, what types of people might be gravitate towards based on like what, how we interact socially and what we need socially and our preconceptions. So I think that's super, super yeah. cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. I think there's a, it's funny, like, so, so, um, like I would consider sort of my discipline, like social neuroscience. And there's a lot of work that's been done in that area about like really trying to understand the individual and the person. And like in comparison to that, a surprising lack of work done about like the neuroscience of relationships, 
there's some, but it's sort of, I would say a little bit like or, mm. sort of all over the map. Um, and so what I'm trying to do and, and what some of my colleagues have done is some really neat work about exactly this sort of thing of, you know, first of all, like, does the brain know what a social relationship is? And if it does, like, what does it look like in a, in a brain pattern, right? Um, like super basic sort of things like that. And then from there, like, yeah, what kind of relationships do you pay attention to? If you and I pay attention to the same kinds of relationships, like, do our brains have similar activity? Do our memories end up looking the same? You know, do the um, people that we end up liking being the same? Um, and so I think a lot of what we're, what I'm trying to do with this work and, and the sort of general focus of this is this more like maybe relationship centric way of looking at uh, neuroscience a little bit, particularly social neuroscience. Yeah. Um, and trying to because I'm like, I would consider myself a bit of a nerd, like sort of trying to borrow methods and tools. We love nerds. <laughs> Um, there's, you know, like yep. machine learning and computer science and these sort of fields have done a lot of interesting work about social networks and relationships and how to sort of think about them statistically and stuff. And so there's interesting sort of opportunities to bring some of that statistical and methodological knowledge to bear on, well, how does the brain compute relationships and what does it mean to sort of know that two people know each other? Because if you know two people know each other and you know someone else, you can connect the dots in your head and, and learn all kinds of things. So like, what does that actually look like? What does that yeah. process unfold like? So, yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> that's so thrilling. There's endless questions and we're so excited to see um, what that research comes to find and maybe do <laughs> another episode on it because that sounds like fun. Absolutely. You know, please keep please keep us up to date because I, I mean, I agree with you. I think relationships are fascinating because we don't exist in a vacuum. We exist in relation to others. And that's one of the best right. things that makes us human is how much we need other people. So <laughs> it's a really important area to study. And I'm glad yeah. there's some smart nerds Hell like yeah. you in the field to explore that for us. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Eshin, for this conversation. Um, we're super excited for everyone Absolutely. to hear what you had pleasure. to say. And thanks for truly all the amazing work that you're doing um, that's going to influence our lives on a day to day. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. It's been super fun. <laughs> You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at Study Buddies Podcast or send us an email at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Study Buddies is created and produced by Paula Sanchez Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our podcast is edited by Renee Collette. Our music was composed by singer-songwriter Caught in Between. Our graphics were designed by Monica Ray Summers Gonzalez. Our social media is run by Kieran Dio. Media photography by Sherry Lynn Photography.